Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. With me tonight is our friend, freelance writer, and quarter to three vlogger, Tom Check. Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rob. Glad to be here. I've gotten everyone coffees. I did not wait to ask. Uh, so, Rob, there's yours. Here's mine. Let's rock and roll. Yeah, so it's just the two of us here on a uh, on a Sunday night. You know, I don't feel this 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 podcast is is really done. There's only the two of us. Uh, we don't have a, a totally firm plan yet. Uh, so what I was thinking is, uh, let's call this a beta, and uh, you at home can give us thirty dollars for early access to this episode of the podcast, and uh, in a month or two, um, or longer, who really knows, we'll deliver you the final version of the podcast, hopefully with a full panel. Uh, But for now, we're just going to have a sort of beta discussion uh, about well, sort of this very thing that uh, we just we just illustrated. Uh, the, hey, wait, the, Rob, Rob, are you are you offering any guarantees here? Is this a sure thing? Is it an investment? Uh, is this something that people can count on? Is there any risk involved here? Well, obviously, um, podcasting itself is a risk. Uh, it's a, it's a creative process. It's full of risks. Um, but you know, we're very passionate about our podcasts here. And uh, certainly, we obviously you are not an investor, but we want you to feel invested. Uh, so I think I think this is a I think this is a great project for you to support. So they're, they're kind of having to take some of it on faith, but they're going to trust that we have the passion and that we'll follow through and f- finish it up later. So this is kind of so this is their early access. That I think that's a great idea, Rob. Well, it certainly seems like it's a great idea, uh, judging from all the people who've sort of adopted this as a model for how you market and sell games to sort of the the core audience, uh, as it were. We see it a lot across all genres, as we were talking about a bit before we started recording. Uh, I would say it seems, to me at least, uh, perhaps because I'm just, I just focus more on strategy, but this seems to be an increasingly prominent model uh, among strategy games. And it does tie in a little bit with, with Kickstarter, but uh, you, I see it a lot with even non-Kickstarter games where... Uh, you know, for instance, I believe Company of Heroes now, if you buy Company of Heroes 2, uh, if you pre-order that, uh, you get right into the beta. And it just seems like now beta access is kind of, um, more than ever before, kind of expected and offered as this, uh, you know, uh, de rigueur uh, incentive to get a game before it's actually finished and before anybody's had a chance to evaluate the final project. And... You know, I see good things and I see bad things with this, Tom, but ultimately I, I kind of feel like the practice um, has created some murky, uncharted waters. I Well, for me, there's two different issues going on here, and one is my own personal preference as a gamer, uh, and and we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit, because I want to, for instance, hear from you about what it's like playing this unfinished version of Company of Heroes. But before we talk about our own personal predilection towards this sort of thing, uh, just as the business model, what's astonishing to me um, is how this seems to me the latest incarnation of how people are selling games. Um, it, it's, so, uh, it's so much a product of this crowdfunding, crowdsourcing funding era of game making. And I want to back up a little bit and talk about um, what it used to be like and how this kind of evolved. Because I've been, next year will be, will mark my 20th anniversary uh, professionally writing about games. So, you kids out there, including you, Rob, you little youngsters, let me, let me tell you whippersnappers the way it used to work. 
it used to work when a developer was going to make a game and they wanted to tell their fans about it and they wanted their fans to get excited and, and maybe pre-order or whatever. Uh, so what they would do is they would have a guy from a magazine because this was before the, the, the websites were really around, they would have a magazine writer come out, and it would tend to be, this is almost like back in the olden days where you would have a fedora and a little, a little uh, cardboard tag that said press sticking out of it. So they would have one of us come out there to their studio where they would show us these sort of rough builds that were in progress. You know, we would sometimes walk around from station to station and see what the animator was working on, and there were none of these super polished canned presentations. It was looking at all the bits and pieces, and then sitting in a conference room with a producer or maybe one of the designers and just having a long talk about this is what we're doing this is where it's going to go this is what we're intending and then the the press guy you know me or whomever would take notes and then afterwards would write up a preview based on what we saw what we were told what our impressions were and then that would two months later come out in a magazine and then people would read it and get excited um so that was what you used to have to do to get people excited about a game but over time, with things like E3, I think of the, the Bioshock presentation at E3 was this canned level. It, it, it felt like a full game. And it was Are we talking a stretch about Bioshock of, or Bioshock Infinite? No, Bioshock. I mean, okay. Irrational has definitely continued with this. If you look at some of the early demos for Bioshock Infinite, you know, they learned their lesson. They know how to put together what looks like, you know, five eight, ten minutes of finished gameplay. You know, this is what you're going to be doing. And they learned this with the first Bioshock. Um, and I don't remember what year that would have been. Someone who has more of a historical bent than me would have to look that up. But there was an E3 that was definitely the Bioshock E3. Because Irrational had put together this great little, it looked like it was the full game. And, and you know, we weren't sitting there playing it. We weren't banging on it. There was a developer playing it for us. But it, it was this complete atmospheric and I'll even use these words, immersive and visceral presentation of what Bioshock would be like. And it was all canned. You know, there was all a lot of smoke and mirrors, and it was a, it was a, it was a, it was the equivalent of a movie trailer, you know, where they create a, a, a complete uh, soup to nuts experience in a small period of time. And that became sort of the new model for, hey, here's how we get people excited about games. Because you can show these at E3, GameSpot can stream the video. You know, this was sort of the second generation of how to reach out to fans, how to impress them. Well, what's increasingly happened now, I mean, where we are now, is even that stuff. I think a lot of gamers, and certainly press, are too savvy to fall for that. Uh, and Bioshock Infinite, by the way, that's a great game in many ways, but if you go back and you look at the stuff that Irrational was showing one, two years ago, Bioshock Infinite is nothing like some of those amazing early right. gameplay demos. Um, so what's happening now is that I think companies, uh, and a lot of times this is just straight out of the developer, are saying, okay, you know what, look, we're going to be completely upfront with you, here's a work in progress, bang on it yourself, make up your own mind. You know, we're, we're going to trust you to give you this early version, and we're not going to drive it for you. We're not necessarily going to make promises or speak in sound bites. Here, have this code. Go to town. Hopefully, it, it'll work for you. And, and as a guy in the press, Rob, I love that. I love being taken out of the equation of, of having to help hype games, having to help sell them. Uh, I love that me going there, sitting, either having a game demoed for me or watching 
uh, a presentation at E3. I love that I'm no longer really expected to, to care or write about that stuff because none of that matters to me. I, I, I like finished products. That's what I want to talk about. So I love that developers are increasingly just putting the product in progress in the hands of their consumers and saying, here's what we're doing. What do you think? Yeah, I you know I, I I kind of feel the same way in part because I know that that system you described for kind of how it used to work and how for some of the larger studios they still try to make it work that way a little bit, uh, but but that that system. Uh, I don't think most outlets, uh, most writers have the mental or organizational bandwidth to give every game their due. Uh, you know, and it, it was you know when you're making choices about what you covered and what you didn't, uh, it was really hard for uh, you know new, new developers, people without necessarily huge pedigree, uh, a smaller budget game. It was really right. hard to get any kind of attention um, from writers who through no fault of their own you know they they have to they have to generate a ton of stories a ton of articles about uh you know the, the games that are going to draw the draw the most eyeballs but at the same time that's you know it's it's it was it was a really unfair system uh for for you know for the have nots of game development and being able to sort of go directly to your audience and sort of get them on side as evangelists uh and use you know build an actual word of mouth campaign uh seems seems like a really good thing and that's kind of the what i've enjoyed the most about watching um watching this model become more prevalent uh in terms of getting the game out to your devoted devoted fans and uh sort of watching the game the community grow up alongside each other yeah yeah but and and also though rob you 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 have to imagine i don't know firsthand but it's got to be terrifying for developers as well when they're they're not controlling the message you know you're putting out an unfinished product and you're letting people bang on it and it's if 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 somebody decides, if in this internet echo chamber, somebody decides that ah, the the frame rate is bad, for instance, those sort of problem like that can become the message about this early access that you've put out. Even something like like Rob, you mentioned that larger studios don't necessarily do this. Uh, they they do it in a different way. I think of for instance Crisis Three, which just came out, huge big budget EA game, and what EA did is they gave you early access demos in a way, or early access. You know, they let you play the multiplayer beforehand. Um, and if people had decided that there was something they didn't like about the multiplayer, you know, they, EA could have lost control of the message. And this was maybe as much as a month before Crisis actually came out. Uh, and this was a, more of a conventional demo, so it's not quite the same as an early access. But I, I think, Rob, of uh, uh, Planetary Annihilation, that mm-hmm. – uh, uh, not, not Ubi, what's the uh, – No, Uber. What's Uber, Uber, thank you. Uh, so Uber Entertainment is doing an RTS in the same vein as Total Annihilation, and they recently did a, a gameplay demo. You know, you don't have early access yet, although I believe that's part of their 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 plan for certain Kickstarter supporters. But they showed a, a, a trailer of the game engine in, in action, and I watched it. And if I was a gamer, like looking forward to playing it, I would have thought that looks terrible. You know, they didn't show any combat. The interface was all early. Um, and they were very upfront about this. They were like, here's an early version of it. But, you know, if, if people didn't like that, they were basically going to lose control of the message. You know, that could create a lot of negative feedback. Uh, and that's got to be terrifying for developers when they give early access to, to stuff like this. 
um, Sins of a Dark Age, which is the MOBA coming out from uh, the folks who made Sins of a Solar Empire. Um, I got to play an early build of that, and there was no tuning in it. Uh, you know, it was still uh, still a lot of sort of rough uh, character balance things going on. And I think they're in a closed beta right now. But I can't imagine that trying to play a game like that that requires tuning... Uh, I, I would hate something like that, and I can't imagine there, there, there's got to be a lot of players playing that who feel, oh, this character's overpowered, or this character doesn't have a good place. You know, they're, they're fiddling with it before it's been tuned, and that's a huge part of game development. And that's got to be really scary for a developer to let people bang on, on that sort of thing. Yeah, I, uh, those games, like like MOBA games and multiplayer-focused games, they're going to rely on a big community uh to succeed you know it's in some ways a trickier proposition for them because i think in many ways they do need uh that long launch like i think sim city would have had a better experience if there maybe been an open beta that had gone on for you know three six months something like that uh you know just uh, games like that need uh you know the infrastructure tested. They need to see how the game actually operates in the wild. With the MOBA, with with the MOBA community in particular, uh, you you've really the standards are very high in that genre right now. Uh, so you've really well, you've really got to make sure that you've heard, you've gotten fan feedback. And, and also, Rob, in a in a game like that that doesn't that's not a sequel. You know this would really presumably be a big part of building up a community before the game comes out. You know, a game like that requires a community. You don't want to buy that on its first day and go online and there's only 30 people playing it. Uh, so, you know, that that's, I guess, another side of what what this early access accomplishes is it ensures that when you launch, you know, there's going to be a whole bunch of full servers uh, that people can jump into. Right. And... You know, I sympathize. I, like, I, I do admire the risk uh, that some developers are taking when they do these things, uh, be, because you know, as you said, you, you risk the you run the risk of losing control of the message, and worse, uh, watching an entirely new message spring up. Like, I have no idea how good or bad Sins of a Dark Age uh, will turn out to be, but I do know that I that I know a number of people, and I kind of had the same reaction, who when they got their early access and they started playing it. Uh, it was a very rough game, and I, at, you know, at, at first glance, I did not find it to be a terribly compelling uh, MOBA compared to a lot of what else is available in the genre. And you know, I have a lot of confidence in Ironclad, and they've got some really cool ideas there. I'm really curious to see how this develops. But I use that as an example of, you know, a case where you can put that game out there, and you've got the pedigree. Uh, you had great relationships with your fans and the press. You put that early version out there, and immediately everything converts to skepticism. And now you've got something to right. prove. Now you're now you're walking uphill. And and their their issue and and their problem, and I'm sure they're keenly aware of it, is that's what's going to happen if they can't control the message. You know, when I went in and did a preview and I, I played a build of it. Uh, part of my job is to to look at it and think, okay, what's special about this? And as a guy who plays a lot of MOBAs and who knows a lot of RTSs, you know, I could sort of drill down and see that. And they do, I think, have something special. It's this cool system of dynamic quests that emerges as you play. But someone just jumping in and sort of playing casually, just with a quick eye for, do I like this or do I just want to go back to playing League of Legends? They might not notice that. Uh, and that that's what happens when 
you, you know, I fully sympathize with a developer who wants to control the message because they want to make sure that the, their their special points are, you know, that people are made aware of that. Um, and that I can completely understand how that might not happen with the average person in the beta for Sins of a Dark Age. Yeah. Uh, did but in another example too, Rob. Uh, there was a game. I confused the titles. So there was a game called uh, Eador Genesis, which yeah. came from a, a Russian studio called Snowbird, and this was a 2D fantasy turn-based strategy game. Uh, it did some really cool, clever things. I, I quite enjoyed it. I think it had been out for maybe two, three years. Uh, they've recently been doing. I don't know if it's a sequel. I, I guess they'd call it a sequel. Uh, this one's called Eador Masters of the Broken World, uh, and it's kind of an upgraded version of the, the previous one. And in the internet echo chambers that I frequent, the beta was made available for this, and everything I heard about it was the interface is terrible, the frame rate is awful, you know, it sucks, all this, like, 3D stuff, the other one is better, uh, you know, the turns are slow. It just got this this terrible word of mouth based on giving people early access to the beta. And I, I didn't try it myself. I didn't know if any of this was true, but this, these are the things that I heard. This was the message that reached me about the, the early access to this poor Eater game. Uh-huh. That that brings up another important point, and I think this is where we, we start getting into some of the real risks for using this as a strategy. Beta is no longer a word that means anything. Like, <laughs> like It means give us a break, we're still working on it. Right, but they, they're, yeah, exactly. But they, there are betas, and then there are betas. You know what I mean? And it's right. it's one of the cases where... You know, I, I think Blizzard tends to operate like this, where for months and months in advance of release, uh, the beta is basically a, you know, a finished, optimized game. And really, at this point, what they're doing is, uh, you know, balance testing, um, load testing the servers, uh, balancing the game, seeing how it, seeing how it performs in the wild, catching issues like that. But in terms of what you're playing, it's a game that could probably be released and sold for sixty dollars tomorrow, and nobody would think this is an unfinished game. But right. that's Blizzard, and Blizzard's able to do that, and a lot of larger studios are able to sort of make that their their beta experience. The the problem. Comes when, when you actually put out an honest to god beta, a work in progress. This game is not fully optimized. There are hardware conflicts. This thing might be uh, really janky uh, for you, but it, but it's not finished yet. And people playing it, th- like it's it's really like they have no grounds for comparison. We don't actually know uh, from the term beta. We don't necessarily know what state of development this this game you're playing really is. So when we when you look at it. Uh, if it's in if it's in beta and is having all those frame rate issues, all those all those hardware conflict problems, um, you have no idea whether that reflects a seriously troubled pr- uh, product, or it's just a beta. And give them a few more months to polish it and incorporate feedback, and it, the, the beta will actually do what a beta is supposed to do, which is make the game uh, you know better and more tested. Uh, and, and I think that's that's a real risk that you you put you put it out there and people will hold it to the standard of betas they've played that are basically just early release, uh, you know, and balance testing betas. And there are plenty of developers too, Rob, who are not above releasing something, selling it, and just making sure the word beta is somewhere on it, even if in small print, as sort of a way to cover their asses. Uh, is sort of a way to sort of, I think you use the term soft launch when we were talking about setting up the topic for the podcast, uh, just sort of drawing out the process. 
uh, you know, I'm going to sell you the game now, uh, but, oh, by the way, it's not finished. So if there's something you don't like, uh, just stick around. You know, maybe we'll fix it. Um, yeah, beta is a really tough word to deal with these days, isn't it? I actually, Rob, let me ask you this. I had this conversation with a friend the other day. Neither of us knew the answer. Uh, is Minecraft still in beta? Yeah, see, hmm. Do you know? I don't know. <laughs> I meant to look it up because me and my friend didn't. Neither of us knew. Uh, and because Minecraft, I mean, I think in a way Minecraft is a, a poster child for how this can work to the best advantage of the consumer and the developer. You know, Minecraft for the longest time, uh, Notch was working on it and just adding features, and you could buy early access, and it was very clear that features were being added. But I, I don't know if Minecraft ever got officially finished. I don't know if it's out of beta or not. Yeah, so now, now I'm Googling, still in beta? No, you're cheating. Uh, you're yeah, cheating. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, I want to say I saw a flurry of reviews uh, come out uh when it was technically hit release version okay uh and so i think it, i think after i think about a year after the minecraft uh after peak minecraft really when it, when everyone was just playing it i think about almost a year later uh it was like formally taken out of beta st- uh, status and it 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 sort of launched well, here, so you raised this issue, and I want you to tell me a bit more about uh, what you mentioned to me that I didn't know about. Uh, reviewing betas. If, if someone's going to accept your money, if I make a game and I say, Rob Zachney, Zachney, give me $30, and here's this game, but don't review it. It's a beta. Is that fair? Can betas be reviewed? Should betas be reviewed? So this is, this is a discussion that uh, I, we end up having, I think, in uh, – in the website I work for, uh, PC Games, and we, we have this conversation, I would say, once a month now at this point, is, you know, do you review betas, and if so, when? And, like, there, there's, it's really hard to get a satisfactory answer for that. Certainly, uh, PC Gamer has done a few beta reviews, and it's usually kind of controversial. They reviewed Dota 2, uh, and they also reviewed, I want to say they reviewed um, Jason Rohr's uh, Castle Doctrine uh, fairly recently. I think that's still technically an alpha. Uh, but you know, when you're charging money for something and months are going by and you're still charging money for it and people and, and people are are buying into it. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I think on the one hand, on the one hand, people buying a beta, people buying an alpha, that is, that is the classic, uh, you know, caveat emptor situation, right? Like the people who do this, they kind of know what they're signing up for and they're, and they're choosing to get involved with the understanding that you're, that you're not playing a finished project product. On the other hand, um, on the other hand there, you know, there, there is a bit of a responsibility in the press, I think, to sort of talk about if you spend your money on something, what are you actually getting? Is this a good use of your money? I think, you know, from the beta, people sniffed out those War Z fraudsters uh, really quickly. People, you know, people involved in that beta knew the War Z was going to be basically the producers of uh, video games. You know what I mean? Like it was it was the shadiest production uh, that we've seen in years. Uh, and, and I kind of feel there's a reticence in, in terms of the stories that are being reported in the, in the press. Uh, there was a reticence to really hold that game's feet to the fire because, well, it's not really finished. And yes, there's troubling signs, but they're still in development. So I, so I, I think, you know, what, this is all roundabout way of saying I don't have a satisfactory answer uh, to your question. It's, it's kind of one of those things... I 
think what we've kind of decided to do on a case by case basis is if we see something, you know, if we see something really eyebrow raising, uh, where we get where where it, where it just seems to cross the line from appealing to people who just want to help build a better game and want to be involved in that early development stage, and turns into more of a uh, treating it just like any other game, but you've got you know beta tacked onto the end of it. Um, at that point, I think you do have some obligation. Maybe not a review, but you 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 probably need to start talking a little more critically about it in terms of what what does what do you get for your buck. See, I, for me, it comes down to because I have an easy answer for this, Rob, and okay. the answer is just yes. You should review betas. You can review betas. Uh, I would even submit. You said that uh, PC Gamer reviewed Dota Two. Uh, they, in fact, did no such thing. They reviewed the Dota 2 beta. And I think it's very clear, as long as it's clear what you're talking about, what product it is, there's, I have no problem, and I don't think anybody should have any problem, with reviewing a Dota 2 beta or the Company of Heroes 2 beta, even. Because, you know, that if, if your criteria is... Is it worth your money if that's why you write reviews and if that's what you write reviews for? As long as money is being charged for the Company of Heroes 2 beta, then yeah, review not Company of Heroes 2, but the Company of Heroes 2 beta. Uh, I, I think if, if developers are going to play with those semantics, there's no reason the, the press shouldn't as, as well. Um, and, and the same with uh, World War Z, you know, or not World War Z, War Z, uh, yeah. which I think, by the way, what was going on there, I, I don't think that's any different from any other bad game, uh, except that the, the developers tried to cover their asses by sticking the word beta on it. Um, so, you know what? You write a review of War Z, the beta, and you talk about how awful it is. Um, I, I don't think there's, you know, if they're selling that, if they're making a product available to people, um, there, there's no reason not to talk about it. And you can, in your conversation, make sure you include the word beta, just like the developers have. But uh, I, I see no problem with that. Um, and I, I wish more people would do it, by the way. Um, I, I like to read about, like, I, I would love to to you know read from someone like you about what's company of heroes 2 doing uh, i think it's fair game right now to talk about it and even heck stick a score on it um hmm. i'm totally for that yeah I, I think part of it is just the i i think part of it I, there's this over there's this overarching awareness that reviews carry this weight that necess- not that not they maybe shouldn't that maybe they shouldn't maybe we should be a little more free to review games that aren't necessarily finished and then go back and talk about like, you know, when Company of Heroes 2 single player comes out, uh, either adjust the score or review the final product as a whole. That would be that would be cool and it would certainly open up uh you know, it'd be really neat, for instance, to just talk about the Company of Heroes 2 multiplayer right now and then sort of focus on single player when the when the final game comes out. It'd be it'd be fun to do that. I think there's an awareness that Metacritic creates a bit of pressure uh, in terms of once that score goes up, um, you know, it's sort of set in stone. And rightly or wrongly, I think a lot of uh, I think a lot of journalists t- like feel that puts some weight on their review uh, to be right. full and comprehensive, and you do you know a developer depends on that review score uh depends on its metacritic aggregation to some extent so you want to make sure you give it a fair shake but the the very premise though rob that we're talking about here that the business model is changing how games are made and sold that's changing so if that's going to change i feel there's no reason that the way that we talk about games critically shouldn't also change 
You know, if, if we're going to be given these games in stages, we should also talk about them and cover them critically in stages. Uh, That's a great point, I, and I think that will change because I, I hear this now increasingly from people working at uh, various sites that uh, previews, for instance, uh, don't do that well in terms of how much interest they actually generate. Like, you know, it's weird, but like during the magazine era, uh, previews were kind of the bread and butter. Uh, I mean, hell, I remember, you know, what game what game was on the cover of PC Gamer or Computer Gaming World that month. Uh, if I saw it at the newsstand, you know, I might like, oh, a new Total War game. Okay, I'm going to buy, you know, I'm going to buy that cover. Um, God, I, I, I yes, I, I am part of the problem. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, but I think in the in the magazine area, that was kind of the only news you'd get about a game, uh, and so it was really interesting to read hands-on previews and such. I don't think that's necessarily the case anymore. I think people are sort of waking up to the fact that uh, that doesn't that doesn't necessarily that's not necessarily what people want, and so I think you're going to start to see more of a move toward the uh, preview feature. You know, talking more about the developers of the game, or maybe you know. The more critical preview, uh, the, the more discussion of here are the here are the merits of of what they are making, and while it's not finished and it still has potential to be better or worse than than we said, uh, here's you know what you said at the start. Here's what's interesting about this game, uh, and, and I and I think a lot of the the standard previews with all their pulled punches don't necessarily accomplish that. Right, right. Uh, how much of this, Rob, is part and parcel of Kickstarter? Because I, I see a lot of this as, uh, you know, when when you resort to crowdfunding like that, you need some incentive to say, uh, hey, Rob, I'm making a game. Can I have the $30 for the game now instead of when I finish it? Uh, so, so a lot of times the incentive is I'll let you play with it early. Uh, it, doesn't it seem like this this would not have happened without the Kickstarter uh, trend? I don't... I don't know. I, I kind of feel like betas were becoming more prevalent even before Kickstarter. Uh, since then, though, it's definitely they've definitely exploded. Like now, it's it's kind of very reward tier uh, that, that has made a lot of games have these sort of staged launches uh, as, as as different reward tiers get to get access to the game. Um, yeah, I, I guess it, it does sort of come part and parcel with crowdfunding and this whole idea that um, that the audience is also a participant in development, uh, which is which is fairly new. But I, I, it was I was really struck during E three by the sheer number of times I'd be sitting in an interview and a developer uh, or a developer representative at least would say, well, what makes our development different, what makes our studio different, our game different uh, is, is that we're really, uh, we're really listening to the audience and uh, building what they want. Uh, I mean, if, I, you know, if I'd done a shot for every time I heard that, uh, I, I would have been in a coma uh, by the end of E3. Uh, but it, it's just that, that, that does seem to increasingly be this, this model that people are striving for, whether it's true or not, this whole idea that, no, you're more than just a consumer in this relationship. This is, this is, this is, no, this is no crass transaction, my friend. You're part of the team. <laughs> Uh, by the way, I hate that talking point. I, I oh do God. not want to. 
I do not want developers listening to uh, their fans, and that includes me. I do not want developers listening to the press either. Nobody, And I will go on record, nobody ever make a game based on what Tom Chick says, certainly based on what your fans say. I mean, I, that's, I, I cannot stand that talking point. You're the one making the game. You should know what you're doing. I, I trust you. I want you to do it and not to solicit advice from people who have never made games. Okay, so and, and not to bag on this game, and I'm, I'm sure that nobody involved with this game listens to this podcast, uh, but... So I was I was I was sitting in on the Firefall. Uh, uh, press I don't even know conference. what that is. What is that? What is that? This is uh, this is a an MMO shooter. Okay. It's been in development for years. I think it's got a lot of former Blizzard people. Uh, I think the lead designer of the original Tribes is also lead designer on this. So I mean, again, it has an impressive pedigree. But it is an MMO shooter, and yeah, like Earth is being invaded by aliens and there's i think two or three different factions you do quests you can fight monsters or you can do pvp and everybody's wearing space marine armor and it's this you know huge sprawling world and the the problem is it's a game that doesn't look bad but it also doesn't look particularly um compelling i guess like you know it's it, it, it could be good uh, but at, but at the same time, I played a bit of it. Uh, I've seen quite a bit of it, and there's the, what it, what it lacks is this is this hook to explain to me why I really want to be playing that, as opposed to say Planet Side Two, uh, or uh, any number really of you know sci-fi shooters out there or or military shooters. Like what like what makes your game unique? And the problem is uh, during this last um, press tour they did at PAX East and GDC, the answer was what makes our game unique is uh, it's sort of by fans for fans. It's be, you know we are we are building it uh, with the community, responding to fan, fan feedback. Uh, we're sort of building the game that our audience wants. And it's been they've been doing this for years apparently building the game their audience wants. And it's it's kind of. Um, What's what's kind of appalling is, is that it, it sort of seems to have be coming out as this sort of fairly generic looking sci-fi shooter, uh, and I certainly when I when I was in the alpha it didn't really hold my interest. But it just it got me thinking that like fan feedback is great when the design is basically locked in, and you what you really need to do now is find where it kind of breaks down, find the errors in it that you know having the crowd sort of turn its collective brain cells toward a game uh, will really discover the cracks in your game really effectively, and it's, it's great for doing that. But when it comes to developing what your game is actually about, how the game's actually going to work, you can't crowdsource that. You know, right. you, you, like Feedback can improve your vision, but it can't give you a vision. And, and certainly crowdsourced feedback is, is a terrible substitute for the important feedback that you get from things like Q&A, focus testing. I mean, you look at the way Valve is one of the least arrogant developers in terms of how they make their games. They will focus test relentlessly, and they will scrap features and revise games entirely based on feedback they get from focus testing. Uh, and it's not this talking point like, you tell us what you want, we'll give you, you know, I'm sure they're not, I hope that they know enough not to just listen to whatever internet echo chamber messages come out about Dota 2. 
Um, but right. th- there's definitely a way to respond to feedback and just throwing it open wide with this idea that, hey, you get early access, you can help us in the development process. Tell us what you want. Uh, I mean, I, I have to help, I have to think that mo- any developer worth its salt knows better to do that and they're just using it as a talking point. Uh, but yeah, I, I find it in- increasingly ridiculous every time I, I hear that. Yeah, I think, um, I think what sort of struck me about Firefall is I started to get the worry that maybe they weren't just using it as a talking point. Right. Maybe, maybe they took of, it seriously. Yeah, maybe <laughs> one of the reasons this game's been developed forever and kind of looks like an amalgam of a bunch of different games is they developed it into what people want. Right, um, right. But. <laughs> No, I think it's actually uh, it's actually I think a bit like uh, the, the writing and editing process. Really, is that you know if you're listening, if you're getting feedback from someone about something you've written, and your meaning isn't clear, they're taking the wrong things away. Uh, they're, they're they're sort of quizzing you about you know what did you mean here? Here's where I think you went wrong with this. Maybe they're maybe they're on point. Maybe they're not. But I think as you're listening to it, you're starting to think about how you communicated your ideas. And if they didn't, if that didn't come across, where did you fail as a communicator? And I think that's kind of what feedback needs to be about. And if you listen to say the commentaries on Valve games, that is certainly how they use player feedback. They watch how players work, and you know whatever players say. Really, what you need to do is look at how they play. Look at how they're engaging with your game. Game, and that's where you can really draw your solid conclusions, you know. Because when they when they try to come, like when 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 I come back at you with a some sort of prescriptive diagnosis of your problem, maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. But all I'm really telling you is that there is a problem. Here's my problem, and maybe my idea for solving it isn't necessarily the best one. But at least you know there's an issue about how you communicated it. And I think that's kind of the role that player feedback, that audience feedback, needs to play. And this, this whole idea that uh, you know that you can be the you can be the tenth man or the fifth beetle or something like that, <laughs> uh, you know that, that that that's kind of a fallacy. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't help but think that a lot of that kind of feedback is just stuff like. This would be cool if it had dinosaurs. You should put dinosaurs in here. <laughs> like that kind of stuff. Uh, but, uh, Rob, does Firefall have dinosaurs? Do we know? It does not look it does not look like it has dinosaurs, but I so will they... say the game bears more than a passing resemblance to Turok. Oh, oh Rob, that's cruel. That's just downright cruel. I'm just going by the bright <laughs> verdant environments. <laughs> well, I want to talk then about some specific examples of okay. like like early uh, versions of games. But first, I want you to tell me. Can so this this beta of Company of Heroes two. So if you buy it, you now get to play the beta, and I presume it's just the the multiplayer, right? Yeah, with AI skirmish, and the AI is oh. pr- pretty solid. Like I hadn't played Company of Heroes for quite some time, and I jumped into um, hard. Uh, you know, hard AI, and just got my clock cleaned. Like, you know, it's, we're still in the first rifle squad phase of the game, and my guys are just getting rolled across the map. You know, I'm like, ooh, I should maybe get a machine gun out. Machine gun comes out, a T-34 rolls over it. It's like, okay, I'm, I've, I've lost my mojo for Company of Heroes. Uh, but, yeah, so you're, so you're getting you're getting AI skirmish. Uh, you're getting, like, six maps, uh, both the factions, and, uh, of course, uh, multiplayer. So this does then feel like more of a, a tri- I mean, early access means many things, beta means many things, but it sounds like in the instance of Company Heroes 2, this is more like a demo situation, like you're getting a fairly complete, polished product at this point? Yes. Uh, basically, you know, I mean, if this were all they ever released, I'd probably still be happy, to be quite honest. And keeping with the conversation from a couple weeks ago, right? Uh, the, the, you know, if it's, it's, it's just multiplayer, and it's right. Company of Heroes multiplayer, and that's pretty goddamn good. Uh, so I've been playing that a lot this weekend and uh, having a blast with it. 
Uh, I see, because that, that's a best case scenario to me. I mean, that's something where, and I, I want to get to this in a minute, because I personally have no desire to ever have any part whatsoever of early access. Personally, as, you know, the business model, I think, yeah, great, let's see where that goes. But as a gamer, as a guy who plays games, I want no part of this silliness. Uh, but that does sound kind of cool with something like that. But I think of a game that I've started playing recently called uh, Don't Starve. Okay. Um, and I think it's okay to mention on Three Moves Ahead because there, there is an argument to be made that it's a strategy game. It's one of these uh, Minecraft-style resource management things where you craft and you build defenses and you become increasingly more powerful and you fight things. There's a bit of a strategy gaming feel to it. Um, but Don't Starve allowed early access. I didn't want any part of it, so I didn't play with it. But one of the things that I've heard is how completely different the final product is now that they've folded in all the late game stuff, now that they've finalized all the crafting, uh, that they're seeding the world differently with different resources. Um, you know, I'm playing Don't Starve now and really enjoying it, and I am just thanking my lucky stars that I didn't dive in earlier when it was much more incomplete, uh, and then just kind of decide that that wasn't for me. Um, like for, for me personally, I look at a finished game and that's that's you know that's all I want to look at. Uh, I I don't want to play uh, early versions of things any more than I would want to watch the dailies from a movie that I haven't seen yet, or to read a novel before it's gone undergone its final editing pass. Uh, and, and I think I'm just weird that way, and I don't understand why more gamers are like that. Like why they're willing to jump into something, even like Company of Heroes two. I'm sure it feels polished, but but can't you imagine it's going to take another balancing pass, for instance? I mean, can't you imagine it's going to be very different when it finally does come out in terms of some of the nitty-gritty details? Uh, you know, at this point, boy, you know, at, at this point, I kind of feel like I'm playing something that's going to be very close to the finished product, and any sort of balancing that's going to happen is going to feel roughly like a balance patch uh, that, you know, usually comes a month or two after. Uh, in RTS launches, so in terms of that, like you know, so like why am I playing? Why am I playing the Company of Heroes two bit? Uh, Company of Heroes two beta. Um, really, at this point, because I'm, I'm not really writing articles about it uh, yet, I'll probably be doing a review of it uh, at some point. But the reason I'm playing it right now, really, is just because I kind of want to get on the Company of Heroes two train early and get my multiplayer chops up, so that when the re- <laughs> when the review when the review code comes through, uh, I'm ready to I'm ready to roll. Uh, and so that's kind of, I'm just, you know, what I'm doing right now is I'm trying to take down tougher AIs and uh, just sort of getting back into that rhythm. Uh, You're training. So, yeah, basically. And I think uh, I, I was doing the same thing with the uh, Heart of the Swarm beta as well a little bit. Uh, just kind of getting getting ready, uh, sharpening my knives for launch day. Oh, but see, Rob, that's another example. Weren't there, and I don't know for sure, but weren't there units in the Heart of the Swarm beta? There were entire beta? units cut out. Yeah, holy cats. So that's again, why would you want to be part of that? Well, like okay. why would you want to watch a those, movie? Those units were and, cut out a long yeah. time before before launch though. So that's that's okay. the thing, right? So the, the, this is the the whole early access is some access is earlier than others, right? Uh, <laughs> there was a point where the Heart of the Swarm beta, uh, I remember a dude in a bar in Montreal gave me an Heart of the Swarm beta key uh, like a year ago. It sounds pretty shady, Rob. Was this in the alley or in, the, in a well-lit area? Um, it was in the bathroom. <laughs> um, <laughs> so let your, let your imagination run free. Uh, 
But uh, anyway, so uh, I run into this ex-Blizzard guy at this bar, and uh, we get to talking, and uh, he, he gives me he gives me a beta code. Um, and at this point, Heart of the Swarm is a completely different experience. Uh, and, and then, you know, in the last, uh, like, two or three months before the launch of Heart of the Swarm, beta keys were just everywhere. I had a stack of them on my desk, and I couldn't give them away. Uh, so at that point, you were playing something, like, where it was just basically the, la- the, the these were the final cut units and all that was happening was uh the sort of you know change the numbers a little bit tweak the balance here and there that's what was going on if you were playing the beta like a year ago yeah you had you had entire units uh, that would become like crucial parts of the new Terran uh build order and then it was cut the uh the warhound uh was cut and do you miss it like when you actually played heart of the swarm did it impact the experience at all for you I think a lot of I think a lot of Terran players uh, a lot of players Terran players still miss it. I think the widow widow mine was tweaked to kind of replace some of its functionality. I don't. It's not something I cur- like. It's not something I I, I miss uh, when I when I play the game. But I do know some people who kind of now their experience with Heart of the Swarm. Right? They remember a Heart of the Swarm that had this extra unit, and they really liked it. And so now they play Heart of the Swarm, and there's always this sort of wistfulness, right? Where it's like, oh, I kind of, I, I kind of missed that earlier beta version where it had that extra goodie, right? And and I presume Blizzard cut it because it was either overpowered or it didn't have a place in the the overall ski order of battle or something. Why did it not make the cut? You know, I was I was never totally clear why it didn't make the cut because it was it was a unit that was coming along. Um, and when it was cut, there was I think I don't think I think a lot of people were totally satisfied with with Blizzard's explanation. Seeing the final version of Heart of the Swarm, I, I kind of feel like the reason they cut it was they already knew some ways in which it would become redundant. Uh, hang on, can you hold on for one second? Sure. Yeah. Uh, here we are on three moves ahead. We are waiting for the return of Rob Zachney. I will uh, now sing a rendition of Girl from Ipanema while we wait for uh, Rob's return. The girl from Ipanema goes walking And when she passes, each one she passes goes ah. When she walks, she's like a sunbird I heard a phantom knock at the door. Oh. I was singing. Oh, <laughs> there was uh, yes. Gonna, there was going to be a musical break in the uh, three moves ahead. Uh, but it's over. You missed it now. Damn it. <laughs> so, Rob, I can't help with that. With the uh, with the Warhound, Rob, it, and maybe I'm off base here, uh, but my whole thing as a guy who who covers video gaming, one of my sort of central mandates is I feel that video games – uh, are, sh- should be every bit as much the experience as watching a movie or reading a book or listening to music, and that the conversation should be similar. Uh, so when I hear that there was a warhound in Heart of the Swarm and it got taken out, to me, it's almost like hearing that there's an early cut of uh, the Avengers in which 
I don't know, uh, Supergirl was one of the Avengers. And I think I'm crossing some certain licensing streams, but that kind of thing. Uh, and that for whatever reason, Supergirl was taken out, and then they did the Avengers without her. So that I go and I saw the Avengers. I loved the movie. If I liked it enough, maybe I want to look back at its origins. But I would have hated for that to have been my first impression of the Avengers. Because I think a huge part of any narrative experience, this applies to games, to movies, I would say even to music, is your first impression. And you only get one chance at a first impression. You only discover the narrative for the first time once. So I I feel very strongly that I did not want to discover a Heart of the Swarm with a Warhound in the mix. Now, if I was a huge Heart of the Swarm fan, I would love to know, and I'm curious, I would love to know more about this Warhound, why didn't it make the cut, but I wouldn't want that to be part of my initial experience any more than I would want to go see some early version of the Avengers with Supergirl flying around. Um, so does that sound weird? Does that sort of seem to you like uh, it's, it's, it, you shouldn't apply those kind of narrative rules to video games? Does that make sense to you at all? It does and it doesn't. I think hmm? in terms of multiplayer... Well, the the issue is it's not re- yes you only have one chance at the first impression, but it's also not a narrative experience. You know, it's not like sitting down to an album that you haven't heard before and you know and hitting play and listening to that for the first time. Uh, I I kind of feel like with with a multiplayer game it, it can be a little bit different. And honestly, I just find like I find it fascinating to see how these things change and see how a community first reacts to a new version of the game, right? Like, I just I just find it so interesting to be there sort of as, as it hits and see kind of how players engage with uh, the game at first and how the strategy, you know, evolves rapidly uh, just over the first few uh, weeks or months of competitive play. So I think it's a little bit different in the context of multiplayer. Now, where I'm totally with you is that I would not have wanted to play... Uh, you know, an alpha of, say, Bioshock Infinite, uh, right. you know, a year ago or something or, or a year and a half ago because it, it wasn't the it wasn't the final game. Now, I would be totally interested in seeing how it changed in that intervening year and a half and, and hearing all about that. But I wouldn't want to just like you said, I don't want to see the rough cut, you know, like give, give the developers space to finish uh, you know, fin- finish their story, tell the story that they they want told. Um, that that I that I totally agree with you. I just feel like with multiplayer, it's just a little bit different. See, for me, again, I still have that feeling that the first time I discover how something works in multiplayer uh, is is special and important to me. Uh, and it's like the first time you hear a song. You know, I I, I feel that that's important. Uh, and I want the developers to basically tell me, you know, okay, we're done. Like I'm doing that thing with my hands, like where you're done with uh, uh, when a dealer steps out or whatever. That's a bad analogy, but but at any rate, I want this this definitive, all clear. We have finished the final step of polishing and tuning. This is now 1.0. Have at it. Uh, and until that happens, I, I don't want to be anywhere near a game. And this is my own weird uh, predilection. I admit, I have walked out of. Bioshock press events when Ken Levine started showing actual gameplay because I didn't want to see any of it. Uh, I was very apologetic. I was like, you know, this is kind of weird, but uh, I want to wait until the game is done to play it. Um, the same way that I don't watch trailers for movies, um, I, I just don't want any part of that until the, the developer is finished. So, uh, you know, I, I read this I read this thing. I want to say it was in The New Yorker, uh, but it was a thing about Notch and his new game, OX10C, right? 
and it because it's Notch, this game has been covered extensively in its conceptual stages. And Notch tends to be very open about what he's doing, right? So this is a game where, like, every time he would post a screenshot uh, of just, like, you know, an early, like, you know, gray box level type of thing, it would turn into news stories, and people would, like, parse over these things and such. And I, I read this interview with him. I want to say it was by Simon Parkin, but I could be wrong, about how basically he's kind of suspended development on OX10C because it's kind of like he he isn't able to handle... I could be bastardizing the quote here a little bit, but he basically can't stand the pressure of having that instant feedback, of not being able to create uh, sort of freely because all of it's being reported on as news and people are extrapolating meaning from his thought process that really isn't, it isn't, uh, in, it, that isn't intended to be there. That he does not mean to convey. Right. And I, I totally sympathize with that. And I, and I, it's something I've worried about because, you know, in, in the case of someone like Notch, he, he created this really singular game and suddenly, you know, his life has changed completely, right? Like he's this rock star developer. But ultimately, he's a guy who has created, you know, one really, you know, one phenomenon. And now he's trying to come up with a second idea, trying to come up with, you know, with, with another game. Except now the eyes of the world are upon him. And I can't imagine trying to be creative and uninhibited in that situation. Right. When everybody wants to know what you're doing and there's all that pressure and, and there there aren't enough people like me who would just say, Notch, do what you're going to do. And when you're ready for me to look at it, I'll look at it. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm I'm absolutely an anomaly there. Uh, yeah. I, I actually I ran into some of the folks working on Scrolls, which is another which is not another one of his next games yeah. uh, at GDC. And they graciously uh, came up to me after a talk and they were like, hey, we'd love for you to look at Scrolls. Uh, here's our email address, you know, contact us and we'll get you into the beta. And I graciously accepted it. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. And then promptly did not email them and ask them for a beta because I have no desire to see that in, until they're done. Uh, it, the solution here, Rob, is for everyone to just be like me. Pretty much. And, and I mean, obviously, uh, certainly whenever we talk about, uh, you know, reviews, uh, one of the things we often hit is, uh, you know, be more like Tom Chick, really. Use that whole grading. Use that whole scale. Uh, we, 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 we talk about you all the time. That's very sweet of you. And, and there's also, you know, I consider my ignorance uh, an asset when it comes to knowing nothing about a, a game going into it. Uh, by the way, Bioshock, a perfect example. So much of what I loved about Bioshock, I later discovered, was part of the freaking marketing. Um, you know, marketing's a kind of an early access. Uh, I hate that. So there, there's a game out now called uh, Star Drive. Yes. That I, yeah, and I've had a build of it for a while, and I have booted it up and seen in the lower left-hand corner the word beta and promptly shut it back down. <laughs> it just hey, There's nothing that turns me off more of seeing a game boot up and seeing the word beta somewhere on the screen. Uh, and the funny thing they do, Rob, if there's one thing worse than seeing a version number, like 0 0.9721, it's seen a version number, and this was the case with Star Drive, uh, that's something like 1.07 and then the big word beta. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on here? You're either not using the number right or that word shouldn't be there. Uh, uh, but I don't know how much that changed, by the way. I imagine that was minor tuning stuff that they were doing. Yeah, I'm trying um, to get a build for that myself at the moment. Uh, but that was another game that, yeah, definitely had a early access uh, thing. And it seems like for the last few weeks now, I've been hearing from people like, oh, you really need to check out Star Drive. It's, it's fantastic. You, well, I, you know, Rob, I got to say, I think there's some awesome 
grassroots, like this is the best case scenario of early access, as far back as like three months ago or something, I had people emailing me, and, and surely this was some sort of a coordinated, maybe not professionally, but some sort of grassroots coordinated campaign. I was getting people emailing me saying, uh, you know, hi, Tom, I, I like your site. By the way, you should look at this awesome new game called Star Drive that's coming out. And this wasn't like a press thing. This wasn't a PR company. This was people who had played it and banged on it themselves and really wanted to champion it. Um, so I, I, I think their their beta, they got some a, a really good groundswell of support from that. They contacted guys like you and me and other press folks and got the word out there. Yeah. Now, I will say, I tend to, whenever there's big grassroots around a space 4X strategy game, <laughs> yes. my skepticism is cranked as far as the knob will go. Wait, why? What's up with that? Why do you why are you suspicious of those? Because people have this weird obsessive hang up about Master Masters of Orion 2 and everyone just is waiting for the second coming of Mutu and it <laughs> seems like every freaking space game that comes out is oh it's just amazing. It's so deep. It's it's just an amazing 4X and you've got to try it because it's like Masters of Orion 2. And it Almost always, I, I think there. Are, I think there are traps the genre tends to fall into, and I think a lot of those traps are driven by the peculiar enthusiasms of space 4x people. Uh, so I just, I, I tend to have a bit of a, yeah, we'll see when it comes to a space 4x. Right. You should have that with every game, though. By the way, <laughs> don't don't just reserve that for space 4x's, Rob. No, I, I mean, you know, if it's a military shooter, you know, it's going to be good. Of course, yeah. And those MOBAs, those always oh, rock. God, what can go wrong? God, I love them. I love them. I like them when you have the archer dudes and the tanks, and oh, it's good. Yeah, and, and you got a guy who can jungle. Please, yeah, <laughs> how awesome is that? That's a surefire hit. For, the surefire for success. That's a recipe for success. Uh, the other, the early access that I can't stand, Rob, and that I don't understand why anyone does this, even people who aren't weirdos like me, who in their right mind is playing early access for an MMO when your character is going to get wiped? You're sitting there playing a game all about persistence and leveling, and you know you're going to get reset to zero. Who are the okay. weirdos doing that? Okay, so here's the thing, though. Yeah? You're a weirdo. And we know this. We, 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 we've always known you're a bit of a weirdo. But look, here's, here's the analogy I want to make. Okay. I know people who love bands who listen to those who 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 collect the live recordings of bands while they're on a tour or something and those recordings get passed around the community and what you're hearing in a lot of those cases is material maybe will never be released in some cases what you're hearing is material for the next album and so by the time the album comes out you you've heard most of these songs but the the these tapes from live recordings are still really pre treasured possessions uh because you'll hear early versions of the song sometimes maybe even a version you like better uh but there are totally people who it's a creative work you only have that one chance to encounter something for the first time but you will still have people who who really get something out of listening to that creator evolve their sound over time that's that's like that's absurd to me. Like, who cares about, for instance, who would prefer the concept art to Avatar to the actual movie Avatar, for instance? Like, why? well, who would, okay, but who would prefer the concept art to Epic Mickey to the actual game Epic Mickey? Mm. Rob, I think I think you've trumped me. 
I believe I have. <laughs> but as for as for the uh, as for the MMOs thing, I think you have something similar though, where these are games that are ultimately about community. And I remember vividly that my buddies who are super into World of Warcraft, not, I never was, but they were they were uh, you know they they were bailing on EverQuest right as the World of Warcraft beta got started, and they played the hell out of that beta for months and months and months. And characters were getting wiped all the time. It wasn't just one wipe before launch. It was like okay, we're rolling out a new version. You know, everybody's back to level zero. Uh, so I mean, it happened all the time. But what was ha- what what you were in that beta for? Yeah, part of it was to give some feedback. But really, what was happening is people really wanted to be there while the community coalesced, and they yeah. like they were putting together their guilds and finding who their friends were going to be in that game. Who were you going to be able to count on on launch day? And so I, I think it you know it just comes down to this: people play games for so many different reasons, and those experiences. People value such different parts of the experience than you or I might, and we obviously value different parts of the experience, uh, from, you know, from one another. Our, our what we take away, what we value, uh, is different. That I, I totally understand why people would would want to do that. Uh, I, you know, I'm not one of them, but at the same time, I, I can get why it's really important to you and why it's exciting to you uh, to, to be to be in on that uh, pre-launch uh, excitement. That, that's a very fair point, and that definitely gets to what I was mentioning before about like a game like Sins of a Dark Age needing a community when it launches. You know, you have to find populated servers when, when a game like that comes out. And yeah, so if you're playing for community, I guess those are the folks playing MMOs before they come out. And they're their guilds, and they're getting ready, and then when the game actually launches, they know they're going to scurry through that opening content to sort of get in front of the first wave of people. Um, so yeah, that's got to be what's going on there, right? Right. You know, I think part of it too. What we've been talking about here, in terms of the way, the different ways we approach these things and your resistance to them, is just it, it seems to me like you take your position as as a critic very seriously, and that's that's really I think when I when I think of you, certainly that's that's how I, that's how I think of you in terms of games writing. Uh, you know, you you are you are a games critic. And so you you tend you, you know you you tend to it sounds to me at least like you're very you're you're very big on keeping your critical lens uh you know clean as it were you know making sure that you know when you finally turn it on a game uh you know you're gonna get a clear picture of what the what the actual what the actual finished product is. Is that, is that a fair I, assessment? You know what? I love the fact that you're sort of making it sound like it's a matter of professionalism, but I just think of it as my own weird kink. Like It's the same part of me that doesn't want to watch movie trailers and is worried about spoilers and stuff. I feel that... You know, when I talk or write about a game, the, it's the experience that matters to me, not the development process, certainly not the business model, not how successful it is commercially. You know, a, a game to me is an experience, and that, I feel, is the way that I like to talk about them. That's the way I like to hear others talk about them. So it's not at all from some professional perspective. It's just my own personal preference. Um, but, yeah, I, I like the way you put it because it makes me sound <laughs> like like I'm some sort of a a professional critic. I, I think there, I think there's a way to square that circle, though, right? It's like that you you approach you approach the work in this way because that's your that's your weird kink, and that weird kink has also made you do what you do. Fair enough. Very good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you know, whereas whereas I think you know, just in terms of covering games, like in part by necessity, just because I've sort of come into games writing in a different era, a different time, that I've had to wear uh, you know a few more hats. Uh, you know, some sometimes I have to be a news reporter. Sometimes I'm a feature sure. guy learning all about development process uh, other times i'm writing review and so what uh, you know what i i I tend to approach 
these games from all these all these different angles and you know there's there's no over there's no rhyme or reason to it necessarily like why do i want to be playing company of heroes 2 before launch and not say star drive you know what I mean? Like, why am I going to choose to really try to skill up at, at Company of Heroes? And yet another game, just like, yeah, talk to me after lunch. Like, you know, that's, that's, <laughs> when, I'll, that's, when, that's when that game will exist for me. Well, you, you kind of, you, I mean, you kind of called it in that one of them requires training because you're going to be pitted against other people. It's like people wanting to find a community in an MMO, people in an RTS, which is a very skill-based game, wanting to sort of hone that skill before it comes out. Um, so I can completely understand, you mentioned that before, why you jump into Company 2 before uh, Star Drive. Uh, but, but I, I cut you off. Sorry, I didn't. I yeah, didn't. but I but I think with some other games, I think there's uh, there's also the case where there are some things that I just think it's really interesting to watch them evolve. Not even necessarily right. from. Not not even necessarily just like I you know that I that I want to be there from the start, like to have early access to be there when it all happens. But it's just interesting to see imperfectly, you know, albeit imperfectly, see how the development process is reflected in the evolving game that you're playing, you know, that one day an update hits and the game is subtly but noticeably different. And it's interesting to sort of tease that apart and sort of look at how, you know, weeks of forum conversations have suddenly been transmogrified into a new version of a game. And I, and I actually do I actually do find that stuff kind of interesting. And I think certainly, if, you know, when we talked about, like, when I use my you know, people following bands analogy. There are some people, you know, sometimes we disparagingly call them fanboys, but that's not always the case. There, there are some people who really do, like, just click with the developer. There are people who really love Paradox's vision of history and what Paradox's vision of what a strategy game should be. And, you know, for, for, for those people, uh, you know, you kind of want to be in as, as early as possible just to sort of, you know, have a seat at the table to sort of understand why and how the game is coming together the way it is. Some games i can totally understand why you'd want to do that there are others where that's just not my interest yeah and and to uh get to the way that that games are, are made and evolve even after after they're released that's where my own analogy with games as entertainment compared to music or books or movies or television as entertainment falls apart you know as games are being increasingly marketed as a service uh, or as MMOs, where there's new content continually rolled out into the same gameplay framework. Uh, there's really no counterpart for that in other entertainment. Um, you know, games evolve after they're released, so I think what's going on with early access is now we're seeing people get into that evolution even before they're released. Uh, and yeah, so it, it, I'm the weirdo for saying, no, I only want to be involved at this one particular razor's edge moment where you go from point nine 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 that version to 1.0 mm -hmm. uh that that just doesn't square with how games are made and created and supported these days uh so yeah i, I again i'm freely granting yeah i'm, I'm the weirdo here <laughs> you know but it's, it's interesting because when i when i sort of pitched this topic to you um you know, I remember you said you were vehemently opposed to the practice, and certainly I, I sort of approached it from this really skeptical standpoint of just, I'm not so sure I like the commercialization of early access, uh, the, the, the degree to which it's become an incentive to get your money sooner, uh, you know, before anyone's had a real chance to kick the tires on the thing. And obviously, you know, people 
people are free not to do that. It's, it's totally a choice as to when you, when you buy in. But when, when I approached this topic, I was, I was really skeptical. And yet I find it funny that we've had this conversation that I think you know, has been far more positive than I, than I really anticipated. Well, on the balance, Rob, I would say that even though I want no part of early access, you know, I, that's my own particular kink, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Uh, and even though there's plenty of room for abuse with things like ongoing betas or early launches where bugs are never finished, uh, you, you know, we would would people be as upset about Sin City if EA had stuck the beta tag onto it? I think they, I think companies will look at SimCity and will look at the way that ongoing betas work and they'll put two and two together and think, ah, oh, this is how we can get around this in the future. But on the whole, I think it's far more of a positive than a negative, uh, is, is just letting, uh, letting players, you know, bypassing the press, uh, bypassing canned messages and just going straight to players with this very sort of open hat in hand, look, here's what we've got. If you like it, support us. Uh, you know, here, uh, I, that direct to players, um, pipeline from developers to players, I think is ultimately a positive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I tend to agree. I certainly, you know, th- there are days actually I sort of feel sort of guilty, right? As I look at my inbox and I'm like, oh, I just, you know, I don't have time to try this game you're pitching me on. And I feel even worse about the PR pitches that, you know, I don't even open. I'm just like, oh, I don't really care. I've, I've decided I don't, I'm not really that interested in that game. Uh, just because, you know, you've, you've only got so many hours, right? And you, you can only be familiar and literate with so many different games. Uh, and I think everyone, you know, in, you know, who writes about games is kind of up against that as well. Um, which is why it's kind of crucial that you be able to, uh, you know, form a community independent of the press. And if, if they, you know, if, if they become a loud enough voice, uh, they can sort of force that attention. They can, they can, you know, put some, put some eyeballs on the game, uh, and, and get that message out. And I believe too, one of the greatest goods of it is, you know, you, a company of heroes Two preview right now is not going to be the exclusive domain of an IGN or something. Right. Company of Heroes 2 previews now are something that anybody can write on any message board or in any comment section or on any blog. Uh, and I feel that's way better than the way it used to be, where a guy like me would fly out to a studio and be given a canned demo, and it was up to me to sort of distill that message into something for people to read. I personally think this is a far better way for... Uh, for developers to to get their games seen and talked about, yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, if, if you know from where we started, uh, it, you know, it it does it it does seem like uh, it's it's by and large a by and large a great thing, uh, right up there, you know, sort of with with crowdfunding. I, I think there's a tendency. Certainly, I'm guilty of it. Uh, you know, to get a bit cynical the moment something becomes omnipresent, like the, you know, like the more Kickstarters <laughs> proliferate, the more skeptical I become of each new Kickstarter. I, I yeah, we're too like cool for same... those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I was into <laughs> Kickstarter, but now I'm not. Uh, I think Tom versus Bruce is when it went corporate. Um, so, so I, I think I just I, I get more skeptical as things just become. Uh, you know, as as they, they sort of rush to capitalize on trends. Uh, but you know, in this case, the, as we've talked about it, the the more I think about it, the the more it just seems like a good thing, uh, and particularly particularly for multiplayer based uh, games, strategy games in particular. Uh, it, it, there's just so many things you can hammer down in a beta with a lot of participants that 
it just seems increasingly it's it's too dangerous to go into that having only preached to a very small choir. Yeah, and if it helps games, for instance, like War Game Airland Battles get a running start in terms of uh, making the community bigger, I'm all for it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's another game that if you want early access right now, the sequel to uh, War Game European Escalation, uh, if you pre-order now, you get access to the multiplayer beta. I haven't had uh, a chance to play it yet. Tom, have you put any time into it? Nope, I'm not going to until they're 1.0. But <laughs> of course. It, I gotta say, of all the ones that have tempted me, that was one of the most tempting. Uh, but no, I want no part of it until uh, the folks at Eugen Systems do that thing with their hands. They clap and spread their hands, and they say, we're done. Until that happens, I'm out. <laughs> I want no part of it. <laughs> yep. Until uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, until uh, the, the, the priest has blessed the host uh, and, 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 created, and created a launched game, uh, Tom, Tom will not partake. Yeah, you guys snip the umbilical cord, and then I'll take over from there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, so that does it for tonight's show. Um, I'm sure uh, we'll be back with something next week, although I will be in Stockholm uh, for a thing. Uh, I will be ca- I will be upholding Three Moves Ahead's honor in a multiplayer uh, battle with many other editors and I believe some Paradox developers, uh, some of whom may have a grudge against me for various reviews I've written over the years. Uh, so we will see how that goes, and hopefully we'll be able to record a show before I fly out. Uh, but until then, uh, my thanks as always to Michael Hermes for producing this episode, and my thanks to you, Tom, for uh, spending Sunday evening talking about betas. A yeah, topic thanks for that having you try to avoid. And, and I love being here for this one, and I look forward to actually also working on the final product of this podcast when, when we're ready to uh, go to version 1.0. Absolutely. Uh, once, once we unlock that reward tier, Tom, I will let you know, and I'll be back to finish, the, finish this thing up. But until then, uh, this has been Three Moves Ahead, and good night. Good night, all. Tall and thin and young and lovely, the girl from Ipanema goes walking. And when she passes, each one she passes goes ah. When she walks, she's like a samba that swings so cool and sways so gently that when she passes, each one she passes goes ah. Oh, but he watches so sadly. She walks to the sea She looks straight ahead Not at him Tall and thin And young and lovely The girl from Ipanema Goes walking And when she passes He smiles But she doesn't